Golden West Radio now brings you the Lawn and Garden Journal. Get your questions ready. Our toll-free line is open at 1-800-374-3315. Now, here's your host, Carla Hersena from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center. Good morning, everyone. A crispy morning. Wasn't that a beautiful couple days where we had that warmth on us yes we might be a little warm today but a little bit of cloud is also out there and if you're looking around a lot of the trees now are devoid of their leaves some still holding their leaves we're going to talk about that but you can also see that some of the color is coming through with pumpkins on porches and seeing those mums that are still crisp that are beautiful on there and yes we're talking about pumpkins but there's also one thing And I actually wrote a little thing that was down that says the power of the pea, which is parsley and pumpkins. Because as uh, my son, who's working on his yard, said, Mom, why is this parsley keep going and going? And I was amazed at the size of the parsley. Yes, he's a young gardener. Yes, parsley has been known to take in a lot of the cold and crispness of it. So if you still have parsley in your garden, you may be doing a little culinary aspect to bringing that to your food taste that's there. Or at the other points, are you looking at pumpkins and getting them going? So the conversation is about fall and pumpkins. Please listen. When the frost is on the pumpkin and the fodder's in the shock, and you hear the kayak and the gobble of the strutting turkey's cock, and the clucking of the gurneys and the clucking of the hens, and the rooster's holly-olling as he tiptoes on the fence. Oh, it's then the times a feller is feeling at his best, with the rising sun to greet him, after a night of peaceful rest. As he leaves the house bareheaded and goes out to feed the stock, when the frost is on the pumpkin, and the fodder's in the shock. They say there's something kind of hardy-like about the atmosphere when the heat of summer's over and the coolin' fall is here. Of course, we miss the flowers and the blossoms on the trees and the mumble of the hummingbirds and the buzzing of the bees. But the air's so appetizing and the landscape through the haze of a crisp and sunny morning of the early autumn days is a picture that no painter has the coloring to mock when the frost is on the pumpkin and the fodder's in the shock. The husky, rusty rustle of the tossels of the corn and the raspin' of the tangled leaves as golden as their morn. The stubble in the furries, kind of lonesome-like, but still, a preaching sermons to us of the barns they growed to fill. The straw stack in the meddler and the reaper in the shed the horses in the stalls below, the clover overhead. Oh, it sets my heart a-clickin' like a tickin' of a dock when the frost is on the pumpkin and the fodder's in the shock. Then your apples is all gathered and the ones the feller keeps is poured around the cellar floor in yet red and yellow heaps and your cider makin's over and your willerman folks is through with their mince and apple butter. And they rouse sausage, too. I don't know how to tell you, 
but if there's such a thing could be as the angels wantin' boardin' and they called around on me, I'd want to accommodate them all, all the whole endurin' flock, when the frost is on the pumpkin and the fodder's in the shock. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal. And yes, there are still things to do in the garden. There's excitement of putting, yeah, some things away. I, I, I would say it's excitement because as you're putting things away, you're still planning. You're looking at what's coming ahead. And I think in our area, I don't know where, where some listeners are from far and from near, but we have the most beautiful country where we can see all the different changes And I think that's what makes a lot of our gardens beautiful. We see the color changes. We see the beginnings. We see the ends. We see the transition. And it gives us the time to do different chores in our garden, different aspects of seeing things. And even to the point where one of the things that really stands out, and I'm always telling you and trying to um, see, show you what I see Yep, you saw I, the phase where we went through hydrangeas. Yes, the hydrangea phase was beautiful, and they still are. Have you done some create something creative with your hydrangeas? There is a trend that's happening in um, if you're looking at the indoors, right? The the I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is that dried flowers seem to be coming back in vogue. And there seems to be that interest in sort of those pompous grass and grass seed heads. Those dried elements are coming back into our, our, our lives a little bit stronger. Yeah, maybe, you know, that saying that what was is now current and what is back in trend. So a lot of your hydrangea heads on your flowers, there's been a lot of questions. What do I do with those? So if you want to be creative... Cut off some of those beautiful blossom heads that have actually turned in shades of uh, autumn tans. And you can create a wreath. You can do an arrangement in a vase with them. They are going to dry beautifully that's on it. As long as you're not crumpling up or the grandkids are giving that crunchy motion that's on there, they'll be fine. The other thing too is it's sometimes the opportunity where if your hydrangeas are really, really tall, you can take one third of them back to give them up that maintenance and clipping that's on there. So A, you're doing two chores. You're encouraging better growth on your hydrangeas and you get to be a little crafty. Now, one of the other elements that's showing up is, that's excitement, is ornamental grasses. There are the feature part of it right now and even if you're driving about and even some of our uh, sort of our uh, ditches that are out there, they're showing the colors of seed heads. And a lot of them are beautiful. One of the most familiar one that you're probably um, more known to seeing is the Carl Forrester grass or Calamagrostis, which give us that reminiscent wheat flower plume that's on it. Now, there's one other one that I, uh, if you're out venturing and looking at some of the landscapes, there is another one that's out there that will take part shade and part sun or full sun is in the miscanthus family and it's such a beautiful plume that's on there some of the miscanthus families will go three four five feet tall and it's their seed head that really gives it that difference that looks gorgeous in the fall if you're looking at it it has this uh, sort of this effervescence of this 
white dotted little seed head that comes up and all of a sudden you get this white feathery plume on the top. Now the question becomes, when do I cut my ornamental grasses? Are you thinking about this now? Are you looking at your backyard or your landscape going, I have those. What do I do with them? What? How do I care for them? And before we get into this discussion on ornamental grasses, because they become such a feature in our landscape of our yards, uh, I have to mention, we're almost done on the Lawn and Garden Journal. There's only a few more weeks. So if you want to give me a call, give me some questions. Let's talk about gardening. Maybe you have some inquiries about your ornamental grasses. The lines are open. 1-800-374-3315. Now we're going to go back to that conversation that we had about ornamental grasses. Yes, they they are beautiful. They give an anchor to your landscape. Plus, they're basically classified as a low-maintenance plant once established. Because you have to look after them to get them established. But they bring that beauty that's out there. And you're seeing that right now. You're seeing the sway of the heads. You're seeing the texture and the movement. And movement in the garden is almost as important as the blooms in the garden. It gives you that sound of the leaves that are rustling. And even as the leaves in fall are crispy and they're falling to the ground. Can you hear it? Can you hear the solitude of that? And as the leaves crumple through the other leaves and touch the ground. It's peaceful. It's harmony. The grasses give us that effect by giving us that sway and motion in the garden. Some grasses are very low to the ground, which again can give us that tufting feeling. But it's the taller grasses like your miscanthus that hold their seed heads longer that give us that winter effect that's on there. And there's a beauty of these grasses that when we get the horror frost. Yes, I got to say it, it's going to come sometime. But when we get that horror frost effect that's on there, wow. And if it happens sooner, and I've got a bunch of grass around the nursery here, I will then post pictures and show you what I'm talking about. So now, the question is, when do I cut my grasses down? Or should I cut my grasses down? There's no wrong or right. It depends on what you're wanting to do. If you want to get your garden cleaned up and ready to go for spring and you do not want to have the atmosphere of the grasses, you can cut some of them down now. Always remember though, keep three to four inch tufting on the base of it. Don't cut too deep into it because you want to protect that root matter. The other thing is, if you're going to be cutting them down now and if you have miscanthus, Those beautiful seed heads, if you can cut them off and get rid of some of the the blades of the grass, it's going to give you a little bit of work to do. They look absolutely beautiful in a tall vase. So if you want a little bit shorter, cut the stemming a little shorter and create something beautiful from it. If you want to leave it up, you can then clean it up in the spring after the, the snow is melted. But you want to get out there early enough so that the new blades of grass can come through the old shafting that's on it. That's part and parcel of getting the gardening done that's out there. So we've talked about the grasses. We've talked about our hydrangeas. We've had a couple questions too about um, the same thing as when I'm 
Can I still plant? There's a lot of questions that are happening this week as we've had some nice weather. The ground is still beautifully warm. So there's the last call to action, I think, this week. If you're venturing to your garden center, maybe you still want to get some of that garlic in the ground. Maybe you want to put some of the tulips in the ground. Maybe some daffodils. So this may be a good opportunity to do that last little bit of getting the bulbs in the ground. And start tidying up some of those perennials. Take down the ones, maybe, okay, maybe not the grasses. I'm kind of swaying you to keep those grasses up so it gives you that effect. But the ones that are beneath the the snow, two trains of thought, two there. If I clean them up now, I'm ready to go for spring. The other train of thought, if I leave it there, especially in areas where I know that I don't get a lot of snow cover, those added little branching or tuftings above the perennials are going to give it a little bit more winter protection. It'll also catch some of that snow to make sure that you get that insulating factor. So what works for you may work for others. If you want to be adventurous and leave it out there and do something else and enjoy the day, leave it. If you want to make sure that you're active in getting things going and maybe uh, have more time with the planting at different times, you're going to remove it. One easy plant that I have to suggest is even here at the garden center, some of our hostas got touched by a little bit of a frost that we winter over. Yep, we winter over some pots. We put them in bigger pots and they look even bigger for the next year. So if the hostas, I think, are probably the easiest plant to clean up, if you get that hard frost, it's almost like just peeling it off the ground. The leaves will naturally leave their stemming of the pips that are down below and it makes cleaning up so much easier. When you're cleaning up your hostas too, make sure you remove some of those leaves. I always love cleaning up the hostas first because I do not, I like to get as much sort of frosting into the hosta area. Remember when it's frosting, it's insulating, it's giving it that protection too as well. But it's also kind of making the slugs go somewhere else. So I like to clean up the hosta areas. There's a little tip. If you're prone to having it really wet and hostas laying around, you want to tidy those areas up just a little bit more. All right. It's a quiet morning. Are you there? The lines are open. 1-800-374-3315. The next thing I want to talk about, and there's so much to do in the next two, I think we've got three more weeks going here. So the next little bit that we want to talk about, and I want to give you all these tips so that we can just relax in the winter time. Have you done your last little bit of pruning? You can do that because some plants are in their dormancy, which brings me to a reminder that if some of the leaves are still remaining on some of the trees, you may notice some of this because a it's happening. We've had a few people that have sort of said, okay, why are my leaves staying so much longer on my trees where some have completely dropped? I myself have a big Manchurian ash in my yard and lo and behold, I love it when we get that first cool, crisp, heavy drop because as it drops on the ground, all the leaves fall at once. So it makes a little bit of a Oh no, it falls here. It's a clear indicator. It makes cleaning up easy, gather up those leaves. But there are some trees that are out there that are just persistent in keeping those leaves. 
you're going to say, is there something wrong? They will turn brown. They will shrivel up. But sometimes they use and they stay on there. There's a fancy, um, I can't remember the technical word that they use to describe when they put the, um, the leaves don't drop, but they continue to hang even after it's all that pho- photosynthesizing process has ended. They sometimes just haven't finished their job and they just stay there. They're called sort of the persistent leaf factor that's on these trees. So two of the things that may happen, they're, they're sometimes adding a little bit of a benefit to protecting the buds. You can see that, right? Where if the leaves hang on a little bit tighter, it's like it's giving those new bud emergences maybe a little bit of an insulating factor that's on there. It protects them maybe in a rational sort of way. It gives it that nice little housing that's on it. And maybe the tree itself is saying, okay, I have enough other winter drop of leaves around me that will give me my nutrient source that's giving action back to the soil, then maybe I'll hang on to my leaves a little bit longer so that when they do fall off with the new emergence, I've got a new welcoming factor of maybe a more fertilizer that's being added to it. Doesn't that just amaze you that plants and the way that the evolution of this happens is so cool that nature takes care of itself and it knows the process of it? It's the forest dropping the leaves that makes the earth that composts, that gives it the nutrient base for the next generation of plants to come through. Those leaves dropping protect things. Yep, I moved a few leaves and I actually put those leaves back because I found some ladybugs tucked nicely underneath there. That's the way that it works. So cool, isn't it? It is. All right, we're going to go right to the line. Jerry's on the line. Good morning, Jerry. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, and where are you calling from this I'm morning? I'm calling from Winnipeg, Manitoba. <laughs> well, well, not too, not too far from me. <laughs> well, we're going to well, wake up everyone this morning and say good morning, Winnipeg, yeah, and good, good morning, morning everyone. Winnipeg. And yeah. I got to tell you, I listen to you. I try to listen for remember every week, every Saturday. Oh well, thank you. You know, and I listen to that uh, the radio, the CFAM. I think it is a so it's such an easygoing radio station. Eh? You know what, it is. Uh, um, you know, when you turn the dial to that station, it's it's easy listening, and it's, it's you know what, there's just something about it. To you know, me, there's no, um, there's no politics and no a lot of other stuff in that. Eh? I don't want to hear. Anyway, it's a pleasure. Oh, well, that's great. It's, it's like, a, you know what, I have to truly say that CFAM, uh, FAM is in there for a reason. I think it's family is part of their word. Yeah, so well, it's, it, it is such a nice radio station. It Thank really you. Is. Anyways, Thank you. Uh, so i got a problem. So i got a standard size garden here uh, in Winnipeg. It's pretty big, actually. And uh, I'm getting quack grass here. from. Uh, I, I, it backs onto the one of the city back lanes and also uh, one of my neighbors eh? and uh, to the west. And I'm getting quack grass like like crazy there in part of that garden and that eh? and I dig it up with a fork, the whole garden every year, you know, twice a year. And I spent like part of the other morning here like digging the stuff out and just throwing it in t- into the uh, garbage and that. Eh? Yeah. Uh, but the thing is, I don't want to use poison, but uh, and the neighbor doesn't maintain his stuff at all, so I'm getting it from him. 
and you know it's like invading invading the garden and uh, and uh, you know it's a real problem there so i'm just wondering so other than poison i went online so there was some methods there to deal with it but what do you recommend well it's a it's a hard one and i think true gardeners have have felt this before where you can start grabbing that and you're digging and you're making a trough following yeah, that yeah. tap root backward is and you're making you're going to want to make me laugh because I have done it to the point where I've gone three feet and I'm just going where is this going to end yeah. that's on it well it's so, all the rhizomes too eh, coming in and stuff eh? yeah yeah um, to myself that's in there if you have it in your lawn I'm a true believer that if you encourage the growth of your more healthier species then something's got to be choked out so it's a little bit of okay maintaining it putting it but encouraging probably the healthier vigor of your lawn of aspect is it in the garden it's not so much the lawn it's like it's coming in from from around the back lane and that i mean it's the city back lane cement eh? yeah it's just like you know you can't take it up and then on the other side, you got young people there who uh, bought this home there, and they don't maintain their stuff, and it just it just comes in, and that it's actually a lot of work now. I'm getting pretty old for this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is hard. I can hear that for, um, yeah. You know what? I'm going to refer to my business partner here that's on that, but usually yeah. it's digging it up is usually the first instance if you start to identifying it, putting it in, is trying to pull it and digging yeah. it up. Uh, don't use rotor tillers because no, no. as soon this as you... No, no, just a fork. It's just a fork, eh? Yeah. In fact, I broke, I broke a fork, broke the handle, broke the tines last year because I was really going after it and that. It's very intense. Eh? Yeah, because when you mentioned the rhizomes, just so if other people um, are listening, as soon as you start chopping up those rhizomes, that gives it that instant little factor that says, hey, let's start multiplying. So <laughs> the more that you can... Don't use a rotor tiller because you're just going to intensify the the active growth of yeah. these all over. Is is basically digging it up and trying to pull them oh. back. So if you, uh, let's say, I'm just thinking like if it was in one area of the if it's in your garden and there's nothing else in it like a vegetable garden that you're compacted with it sometimes yeah. by intensifying. And it's an older way of doing it by either putting plastic bags over there and yeah, giving that intense yeah. heat. That's what I saw online there, yeah. Yeah, you can do, like, besides doing herbicides, which we are getting away from doing that, um, some people, again, have used vinegar-based weed killers, but it's yeah. only for topical. It will only kill the top portion of it, yeah. and it's not going to kill the roots beneath it. Yeah. Um, you know, I just see Mum out there pouring vinegar on some of her weeds that are out there. Well, I see a lot of stuff by time, but not vinegar. Yeah, yeah. But um, you have to have, de- and I think uh, the stamina that you have when you're saying that breaking the tines of a pitchfork, well, yeah. oh my gosh, you're well, putting energy into that. Well, that's, you know, well, really, I mean, it's a problem, and I, you know, I love gardening. Yeah. I've been putting this in for a very, very long time, and you know, like, it's encroaching, eh? Yeah. And, you know, it's just, you know, in fact, was it was last year or two years, I put some beets in the area. You know that the rhizomes actually permeated the beets, you know, as big as your hand. It actually went in, into the hide there of the beets. It was amazing. I'd never seen, and beets are super hard. Eh? Beets are tough. Yeah, and that's beets that's what's tough. going on. Eh? So, but okay. you can't think of anything else. Eh? 
Well, I the only thing I can think about is if it's okay. So instead of being the weeder on the garden side, here's the landscape side portion of it. What you can do is create a barrier between you and your neighbor, or yeah. you and the uh, commercial property or the city property that's there, is by it may be a little bit of a where you're going to have to trench down at your property yeah. line, and yeah. if you can do a uh, either. If you use wood, eventually it's going to be a composted yeah. unit yeah. that's on it. Or if you can get um, sometimes a landscape edging or a deep plastic troughing yeah, that you can put it beneath. How how deep would you go? I would probably go six, eight, eight inches deep oh, yeah. myself because well, no sometimes problem. maybe I'll try that. Eh? That's yeah, no trough around it. Yeah. Because and then what you want to also do is if you don't want to see that edge, leave a little bit of a one or one inch edge above. Yeah. Because if once you get soil yeah, yeah, built yeah, up, yeah, it's yeah, gonna yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You hear me, yeah. right? It's like yeah. skipping over the know. fence. I'm like, listen, I've been gardening forever, and then so I've seen it all, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, my neighbor's a very good gardener, and that too, you know, real old old world in that, eh? and you know, so we bounce the stuff off each other. But he doesn't have the same problem I do in that. Eh? But my other neighbor who moved in, he's just he's a young pup, you know, with a family. So he said to me last year, he says, "Well, you know, you can dig up my parts." <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, there you know, go. I, you know, I just looked at him. Eh? I said, no, don't do it yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you can maybe. Uh, you know what? If you get out some of the lemonade or early morning coffee, okay, hey, come out here. Why don't we do this together and we can uh, share the la- share the labor yeah. and share the love of gardening? Well, okay? that's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Anyways, I'll try. I'll try that with the barriers. It's not a bad idea in that. Eh? Maybe I'll even pour some cement in there if I dig oh! deep enough and pour some cement in there and then I buy a bag. Okay. Anyways. All right. Well, I hope it wins. And thank you yeah. for calling in. Yes, and you keep up the good work. It's nice to listen to you guys. Eh? Okay. Well, okay. thank you so much. Cheers. Okay. okay All right. Bye. Bye. We are taking uh, so much time. I don't know. I think uh, Parker, you're gonna have to tell me if we need to take a break here. I've lost track of where we're going because the conversation is about gardening. So there are so many different aspects, and yes, there are things that we should maybe share with some of our neighbors, and. That's important too. So if there are, or if from one neighbor to the other, and then you know what, Jerry, a little bit of a snippet to your neighbor on the outside, he'll get the gardening bug. He's got a young family, but yep, you make your garden look gorgeous and he'll probably follow suit. And as we're on to the conversation of grass or lawn, when we said we were encouraging, and that sort of gives a, we always kind of put a twist in here as the conversation takes us. And it is the perfect time to overseed your grass. So if you have areas, it's just like Jerry's, if he has your quack grass that's growing in there, is A, encouraging vigor and growth is going to choke out other aspects. And the fall time, believe it or not, we are eager to do it in the spring, but it's so beneficial to do it in the fall. And I'm talking about top dressing your lawn, top dressing or overseeding your lawn. Now, the theory is if I wanted to lift my lawn or change my grade, I may add more soil. But just remember, if I'm adding some soil, I'm not beating up any soil companies, but if you add soil, there are going to potentially be some new weed seeds that are going to be in that mixes. 
So just remember, some weed seed can stay underground for seven, eight years. And as soon as it comes to the top surface and is given moisture, it will produce and it will grow. Overseeding a lawn, I love using just peat moss myself, a, f- a couple bales of peat moss. I bang them up across my lawn and I overseed the top of it just before it snows. And a little tip, that's <laughs> just so I've got, when you're spreading the peat moss, I like to bust the bales or cut the bales, spread them out, leave them on there, and I'm breaking them up on a non-windy day. Trust me, you will take this tip perfectly because you want to do it on a non-windy day. And overseeding your lawn and giving it the right mixture that's on it, you're going to go, why am I doing that in the fall? I'm going to lose it all. No, you're not. It's going to settle in nicely. That peat moss is going to anchor it in there, and when the spring thaw comes, you are going to have that emergence of new lawn coming through. Now, if you're looking at your blends of grasses or grass seed, remember, some of your normal city lots are going to be a blended mix of a three, probably a three-way mix of different types of grass seed. They are going to emerge at three different time frames usually we call it the 7 14 21 so keeping it moist in the spring for 21 days may be a little hard because we're getting those warmer days but in the fall when we have that first emergence you're getting the moisture that's always giving you that constant wicking to that seed and then you get the heat then you get the growth so 21 days it's perfect Put it down even just before it snows. That snow lands on that seed. It insulates it, and it's good to go for spring. Now, the other portion of it is if you have a new lot or a new area and you're wanting to put down uh, turf instead of over like seeding, laying down sod, if you can phone your sod company and you can get some sod in there, as long as you can unroll it and put it down and make it in contact with your good strata base of soil, perfect time to lay it down there's time for it to go and put it through if you're uh, creating here's the landscape side if you're putting soil down minimum four inches of good grade blended mix beneath that's underneath you may want to sprinkle a little fertilizer on the top of that soil before you anchor on your uh, sod on top it's going to help you to anchor it that's still warm that's on there you'll see that a little bit of rooting happen and then again boom No muddiness in the winter, and in the spring, you've got a beautiful green lawn. When you're overseeding too, and this is where I just want to give you as much information as I can, is the blended mix. So look, visit the garden center and say, okay, it's in full sun, then do you use a general mix of the three-way blend? But if you have some areas that are a little bit harder to grow because they're in a shadier location, ask for a shade blend. There are grasses that will grow just in the shade. All right. And if you want the super lush elite grass, you can even ask for some bluegrass, uh, Kentucky bluegrass. But just remember, if you're overseeding in different spots, just doing spotting in certain area, try not to choose just one that says just Kentucky blue, because then it's going to be sort of like if you have a, A puppy in the spring, you're going to see all those spots where if you're doing just Kentucky blue in little areas, the texture of your lawn is going to look kind of like you did a weird pattern. Okay? All right. We're going to go right to lines. Tina's on the line. Good morning, Tina. Yes. I'm just wondering, yeah, this gentleman with his his grass in the garden, I have the same problem too. 
Oh, I know. I know. Well, I know what I should do. I just, uh, and I myself am not very good at myself, too. I can't really do it too much myself, so I have to ask somebody else to help me with doing it. Yeah, lots of grass. I have never had so much grass in my garden. Like, uh, that's unreal. Yeah, so what I have done years ago, and it's all worn off, this black rubber bands. I mean, that's actually it's, ah, it's a strip. It's a, the black, uh, it's just rubber, I guess, whatever. You can buy it in, a, I guess, in a lumber yards or wherever. Okay. Uh, uh, that's a, it's just a roll. You roll it out and, and uh, cut a nice sharp uh, edge. And I don't know, something somewhere wider, uh, about six inches or eight inches. I don't know. Maybe they think they're different sizes. I still have a roll sitting in the garage, but I haven't gone gotten around to it. And I did even roll with my rhubarb, too. So and the, you, the grass and doesn't you, come in this much. So. You, you create a ring. Like you're creating a ring or a line of it? I don't know. It's a strip. You know, long long strips. I don't know, 20 feet. I don't know. Long long strips. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you can get... Black uh, rubber, I guess. Well, there's a landscape edging. There's a landscape edging that you can get that comes in long strips, too. Yeah. yeah. I had it for years. In in my garden, I hardly ever had any grass in there. So, But it was all... So many years, it's all old and... Uh, not good anymore, so it had taken it out. And now I, grass comes in my garden, so well we the have landscape to do it again. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. That, the landscape, that's my answer for for doing that. Well, that's great. That's uh, landscape edging is one of those one areas that you can use that's around the edging that's on it. But you got to make sure when you're doing your landscape edging, there's usually a connector tube that you can do, and there's kind of a a landscaper's cut to make it slide so that the connector stays closed. But your landscape edging would work. That's almost like your, um, you know, like your edging that we had just sort of yeah, spoke to with Jerry. Like, uh, yeah, the uh, rubber. So yep, that's uh, kind of around at the at the top, and then more narrow down the the bottom. So it's yep, just a little is... around edge and top. So yeah, that... no, I, that's that's my answer for doing that to keep the grass out of the garden. So well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Yeah. Okay. Have a good okay. day. Thank you. All right. You too. Take care. Yeah. You too. Thank you. Bye bye. You're, you're welcome, Tina. Thank you for calling. It is. It's creating that barrier that's on it. And sometimes um, it, the other thing, too, is when you're not using that, sometimes keeping a, a, a trough, a deep trough where it goes down beneath it and kind of vexing um, or creating that trough edge where if your garden is straight from the lawn, straight down, and then you're curving it and coming up to a nice heap so you're keeping that break away from it. So you're actually, you know, a six inch trough down from lawn to garden. And by maintaining it and cleaning it and keeping that trough clean will cause a barrier for that to be linked across. So yeah, landscape edging does work it. Some people don't like the effect of it, but a lot of people love it because it gives you that barrier. It's that plastic edge barrier that you're wanting to do. It works. It totally, it's a, it's a job or a task to put it in, but I agree. It does keep it out. Now, when we're talking about lawns, and I just wanted to give you the little ratio. It just popped up in my mind. If you're looking at overseeding a lawn, uh, if you're doing a ratio, a couple bales of peat moss to two to three pounds of grass seed for a thousand square feet, is a perfect little ratio for putting in some of your turf 
and lawn seed. So if that's the cause of what you wanted to do, that's perfect. Now, going back to the garden, uh, there's also the other thing too, is if you're wanting to do a prevention of uh, weed seed for going on and you want to put a little bit of organic base that will stay on the lawn, you can use corn gluten uh, or turf maize. It is a pre-emergence, it's kind of like a pre-emergence with the corn and the gluten of corn. It doesn't allow the emergence of weed seeds, but do not apply it when you're doing your sodding or your seeding. You only want to put it on just before the snow flies is a nice thing because it's almost a natural fertilizer that's on there and it'll prevent some of those blown in weeds that will go through there. There's so much to talk about and we haven't even gotten to pumpkins. I wanted to talk about pumpkins and how to do that artistry. So quickly, have you got your pumpkin? You have to get a pumpkin. You have to dress up the front of your door. It makes it so welcoming, so pleasing, and it's so, all right, I'm a girl. It makes it look so pretty. Let's do our pumpkin displays and make it pretty out there. And soon you can actually carve those pumpkins. Thank you for listening, everyone. The show is much too short. Maybe next week we'll talk about pumpkins and maybe a little bit of goose poop. Is it good? Who knows? We'll be back on the Lawn and Garden Journal next week. Bye-bye, everyone.